0: Our scripture reading for this morning is found in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. This is Paul's epistle to the Romans chapter 6. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. a new life if we have been united with him like this in his death we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray together. Thank you for this staggering truth, that we are no longer dead, we are no longer under the law, but we are alive in Christ. Be with us now, Lord, and open our hearts to hear your word, and empower our brother Mark as he brings the word to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
1: I do hope and trust that your family had an excellent and joyful Christmas holiday season and are looking forward to a distinctly new year. To be honest with you, I won't mind if we never repeat most of 2020, including but not limited to our not being able to get together with our loved ones. in our homes or here with Bethesda in worship and fellowship as we'd have liked and as we've become accustomed to. We are also mindful there are tens of thousands in Canada, hundreds of thousands in North America, and millions in the world who are not celebrating so much these days because they've gotten sick and the consequences persist Or they've lost a loved one, or two, or ten. Or they've lost livelihoods and dreams to the ongoing scourge of COVID. And while, yes, there is a vaccine, in fact, several vaccines that are coming available now, it will be many, many, many months before the vaccines are effective to any level to get us back to something that looks like or feels like uh, normal, whatever that is. Even so, we Christians have real and sustained hope, whether we live or whether we die. And this is because our hope is not dependent upon happy outcomes in this life or in this world. As the old well loved hymn says so clearly and so eloquently. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and Jesus' righteousness. Eternal hope is by God's grace alone, just as eternal life is by God's grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we know that's right. But manifesting sustained hope in anything or anyone... Despite our circumstances, it's much, much easier to say, to talk about, or frankly to preach about in theory and in theology, than it is to practice in life, either for individuals or or, or even for families, and certainly as a congregation. And yet the biblical truth, the gospel witness, And the authentic Christian experience throughout the centuries, now about 20 of them since Jesus and the Holy Spirit came, is that spirit-filled biblical Christians can and do have hope beyond our circumstances. So we might ask, how do I or how do we get some of that? Perhaps even more practically, how do I or how do we get some of that and sustain it over time and through these difficult seasons uh, that even we read about in the Bible or in the biographies of historical Christians? Well, that's what this month's series of sermons will be all about under the title A New Day, A New Year, A New Life, a new eternity. And I'm promising that by the end of this five-sermon series, you will know, I will know, we all will know how we can get some of that hope in our time and place, according to the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. Now, before we take that and run with it, as in, you said, preacher, that we will have hope, please note that I said we will all know how we can get some of that hope in our place and time, according to the Bible. But knowing is not having. And doctrine is not doing. We have to do something with what we know, and we have to do something with what we believe. Even if we believe something is true, absolutely. Even if we believe something is life-giving eternally, it does not and it will not benefit us or anyone else until we do something with it until we put it into practice and that on the individual level perhaps as i mentioned on the familial level and certainly on the congregational level in other words we must choose hope and we must choose to be hopeful not to press the point too too far but the word hopeful is shorthand for hope filled If we are people of hope by the grace of God in Christ Jesus, then we'll be people filled with hope. And the only way we'll be filled with hope or hope filled is that our hope comes from a whole faith in God's grace in Jesus Christ alone. This is the only hope that transcends our circumstance, our outcomes. For the next five weeks, the five Sundays of January, we'll offer a series of five sermons on five biblical Christian values that we can choose to manifest in our lives and in our ministries that will bring us and those around us the truth and the life in Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's quite an ambitious agenda for these five weeks at the beginning of a new year after a really hard year and make no mistake, 2020 was a very hard year, even if we didn't die, even if we didn't lose loved ones or get sick ourselves or lose a job or lose a marriage or lose anything but time. So then, when would be a better time for some newness? If not now, when? If not us, who? So let's get started. I don't mind telling you the hardest part of preparing the sermon was setting or settling on a sermon text. One of the values of preaching through a book is that we never have to wonder what's next. We just go from one passage to the next, but not so for a topical series such as this one. We have to find the right text. We don't want to just repeat a familiar text, yada, yada because neither preacher nor congregation grow from that. So I was looking for something on newness or freshness or change or vision for a turn-the-page year that we could kick off this series of sermons with. Making full use of my trusty concordance, I landed early on Romans 6, 4, but I didn't want to. <laughs> I literally thought, not Romans, again? Again? So I did just about anything and everything I could to avoid it. I was all over the Bible looking for something else, not better necessarily, but something else, something less familiar, something with some pizzazz to it, something with some freshness. But I I felt like the Holy Spirit kept bringing me back over and over and over again, as it turns out, to Romans 6, and especially verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with Christ, with him, it says in the text, but... Him refers to Christ. We were buried therefore with Christ by baptism into death in order that there's the purpose statement in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life. The title of our message for this morning is the same as our January sermon series A New Day A New Year A New Life a new eternity. And it expresses my aspirations for each of us and for us as a congregation together that we too might walk in newness of life. And to that ambitious but worthy end, the central truth of our message, as you see it there in the upper left-hand corner of your bulletin, is this. Jesus Christ was born, he lived, he died, and he was raised as we are born again, That we too might walk in newness of life. So, that that little transitional phrase, as we are born again, means that we were born again in the same way Jesus was raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit, by the power of God, raised Jesus from the dead. And the, the exact same miracle happens in every person's life, every person's being who is born again. The Holy Spirit literally brings us from spiritual death into spiritual life. As we are born again. And it's all, it also means for the purpose of. This is why we are born again. We are born again that we might too walk in newness of life. Now one thing I don't want us to miss here is the promise. The promise that just as surely as God raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit will enable us to walk in newness of life. That is... If we are born again, if we will choose to walk in newness of life, if we will be free. Now, I have to tell you that nowhere in the Bible does it say it will be easy or automatic or without cost. I'm not saying that either. The Bible does say, however, such hope, such freedom, and such newness are in Christ by faith and by practice. We can choose hope in Christ. We can choose freedom in him. So before we go any further, I'd like for us to pray together in a very particular way. Not just me praying for you, but us praying together. Wherever you are, I'd like for you to take just a moment to ask the Lord Jesus to show himself to you. Personally and anew during our message this morning and during our worship here this morning. And ask him to show you, your family and our congregation, how to walk in newness of life. You got it? Let's pray together. God, our Father, I pray that as we pray in our various places here together, that you will show yourself to us anew as our Lord and Savior, once crucified, now risen, now reigning, now here with us. And that in this experience of being born again, the same power, the Holy Spirit, raises us from the spiritual dead who raised you from the physically dead. And we now can walk. We literally can walk in newness of life, or as the NIV puts it more simply, live new lives. Take a moment to ask the Lord yourself. Lord, may your will be done in our lives, in our families, and in your church. In Jesus' name, amen. You can't see it, but every week I separate my sermon into two parts. Every Sunday that I'm preaching, I write the first, normally shorter section, but not always, under the heading, it's literally here on the page with me, introducing our message from God's Word for this morning. I write the second, normally longer, but not always and more textual section under the heading, applying the truth and life of God's word to our lives and ministries today. And that's the section I just started. This helps to remind me what my job in preaching is. First, the sermon, or, or more, more broadly, the ministry of the word, does not belong to me or to you or to anyone else, but the Lord Jesus. It belongs wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely to the Lord Jesus who is and will forever be the word of God made flesh and who dwells among us. Second, we must apply the word of God from the Holy Scripture, the Bible, to our lives and to our ministries in such a way that it leads people, all people, beginning with us We are not preaching at people. We are entering into the message ourselves. We are both the receivers and we are also the transmitters. And we do so to meet, to know, to believe in, to obey, and to follow for the rest of our earthly lives. This Jesus, who is God's word in a person, and who quite literally is here with us at this moment. This leads quite nicely to Romans 6 in the first half of the chapter. If you haven't turned there in your Bibles, if you're not still there already, then I'd like to ask you to turn there with me and hang with me there for the rest of our time together this morning. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And what we encounter when we turn to Romans 6 is four exceptionally important rhetorical questions. They're rhetorical because the answers are self-evident. They're obvious. Nevertheless, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, does go ahead and answer one of them, the second one, but but with another rhetorical question. So the answering a question with a question strategy of answering or not answering a question didn't originate on Seinfeld. It appears to be endorsed by both the Bible and the Spirit, which is very good to know, although Jesus famously used this strategy too So it's not original with Paul here in Romans either. Okay, now let's look at it, beginning with verse 1 of Romans 6, quoting here now, What will we say then? Now I want you to hold on to the then for just a second. Okay, just hold on to it. We'll come back to it in just just a minute. What will we say then? That's rhetorical question number one. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Rhetorical question number two, the answer of which is not only obvious, but Paul couldn't help himself. In verse 2, by no means, he says. Explicit answer number one. Rhetorical question number three. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In verse 3, rhetorical question number four. Do you not know that we all... Who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. That's not only rhetorical question number four, but it's also the central question of the passage. Everything else in chapter six answers this question, or at least in our passage 1 through 14. Rhetorical question number four is the central question. Because Paul, by the Holy Spirit, works through significant and eternal implications for the Christian believer to this question over the next number of verses, even the whole rest of Romans chapter 6. But we don't have enough, not quite enough information yet to discern where Paul is going with this, because where he's going is dependent upon where he's been. The cue here is the opening question what will we say then? to which our Bible-trained minds ought to be asking immediately, to what? As in, what do we say or what will we say then to what? The answer is not blowing in the wind, my friends. It's in Romans chapter 5. But since we don't have the time to review the entirety of Romans 5, though it would be preferable Verses 20 and 21 we'll have to do as a sort of summary of Romans 5 that helps us to understand the context for Romans chapter 6 and therefore to understand it better. Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, the last two verses of the of the chapter. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through Jesus' righteousness. This isn't our righteousness. Be careful, right? It just says righteousness, but just make sure that we understand this is referring to Jesus' righteousness. We have no righteousness. Only Christ has righteousness. His righteousness is imputed to us after we are born again and as we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit walking this Christian life, right? Right? But, but in the text, the righteousness belongs to Christ. So once more, grace also might reign through righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans 5, verses 20 to 21. I'll, I'll do it one more time, right through. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, So that as sin reigned in death, that wasn't the end, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the summary truth of Romans 5 then as it relates to our text in Romans 6 is this. The function of God's law has always been to make us aware of our sin, our trespasses, and so to increase it through our knowledge of it. God's law cannot and will not save us, but the vital function of God's law is to make us aware of our desperate need to be saved. So in increasing, in a sense, increasing not only the substance or the reality of our sin, but our knowledge of it, we are now opened to our need to be saved. And in the universe we have, which is an intrinsically good glorious, majestic, and fruitful universe created by an eternally and infinitely sovereign, good, righteous, just, merciful, and holy God, the emergence of sin requires that such a God extend into it, into the universe that he created his overcoming grace. What then shall we say? The more sin present, the more grace required. Or in, as in verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Or as verse 22 states it, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through Jesus' righteousness, leading to eternal life in us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we're ready for Paul's series of rhetorical questions about the triumph of grace and life over sin and death, which is what chapter five is about. And the answers to which ought to jump out at us by now. So here are the questions. Number one, what shall we say then? A pretty good answer to that, we looked at last week in Luke chapter two, verse 14, by the angels, glory to God in the highest. That's the only thing we can say. Thank you, we love you, glory to God in the highest. Rhetorical question number two. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Answer, Paul gives us, by no means. Romans 6 and verse 2. Rhetorical question number three. How do we who died in sin still live in it? The obvious self-evident answer is we shouldn't. We mustn't. And over the long term, we won't. And number four, question number four. Do you not know that we all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Answer, yes we do because we have been. But we also are aware it's a progressive work of grace. We are not who we should be, but praise God we are not who we once was. Work. Then if we, even if we didn't quite follow Paul's argument in the spirit, he went ahead and answered all of these rhetorical questions with a very hopeful and helpful answer. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the biblical Christian life. It's our central truth, and it's verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, as Christ, might walk in newness of life. Now, not to sound like a partisan Baptist preacher or anything, but it is my solemn duty to warn us that if we, are, we have not been baptized as believers, this verse cannot be fully true of us. This isn't a judgment on you or anyone else. This isn't a judgment on any church or denomination, but it's self-evident from the text. It's what lawyers call black-letter law. It's right there. It's, it's irrefutable. It's, it's there. And I'm not saying that one is not or cannot be saved apart from Baptism. In fact, we believe and we teach that no one is saved by baptism, but that baptism is an act of obedience entered into by those who have been saved. But looking, I'm sorry, but lacking believers' baptism, according to the Bible, according to Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, our salvation will be less certain, our assurance will be weak, and our witness will be less compelling." If this verse is not fully true of us, we must be clear-eyed and courageous enough to ask whether it's true at all. Look again at verse 4. If we've not been, quoting here now, buried with Christ by baptism into death, can we then say that we, in any real and true way, walk in newness of life? And just as a factual matter, In reading the text, practically speaking, we must be able to see that if we have not been baptized as believers in Jesus Christ, then we have not been, quoting Romans 6 and 4 now, buried with Christ by baptism into death. Do you see that? This is deadly serious. If we've not been buried with Christ by baptism into death, how can we walk then in newness of life? If there is no death, there is no resurrection. And I hope I can make it crystal clear by drawing our attention to the sentence structure. I know this isn't English or Greek class, but but we, we can do this. And if we do this, my hope is we can see how our hope can be and our faith must be in Jesus Christ alone if we'll choose such hope biblical hope the kind of hope that's being taught here in the scriptures not hoping for something but hoping in someone and show evidence of such faith by obeying jesus's word to us whatever that word may be now i checked myself and the english standard version of the bible which i've been using by comparing verse four with the New International Version, which probably most of you have and are reading from right now. The NIV may make what I'm trying to get across slightly more clear. Look look there at verse four once more, where the NIV says, we were therefore buried with Christ through baptism. Again, it says with him, but the the reference there is to Christ. We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that. Just notice here that that it's a past event. We were buried with Christ through baptism into death. It already happened, which means it happened. Which means if it didn't happen, the rest of the sentence does not apply to us. You, You get that? We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, with Christ it means, we too may live a new life. Now if we eliminate for a moment, we're just going to cut it out for just a second. Just a second, we're not going to change the Bible. We're just going to lift it out for just a second. Just to understand clearly the main point of the sentence. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father... Which is an illustration that enhances or modifies what comes after it. Then we get as a basic meaning of the verse, verse 4 of chapter 6 in Romans. We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that we too may live a new life. You see that? That's the basic meaning of the verse. And we can't take anything away from it. If we weren't baptized, we weren't buried with Christ. If we weren't buried with Christ, we don't share in his death. If we don't share in his death, then there's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then we cannot, will not, walk in newness of life or live the new life that is being highlighted here. Now, if we wanted to check ourselves, we could even add the modifier back at the end of the sentence to see if we get the same meaning, and we do. Here it is from the NIV. I just took the clause in the middle, the the, the phrasing in the middle, and tacked it onto the back end, and the meaning is exactly the same. We were, therefore, buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that we, too, may live a new life, comma, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. So often, especially as North Americans, but also as human beings, we cast believing and obeying God's word, whether his written word in the Bible or his son, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, or perhaps even a personal word to him from the Holy Spirit, as if God wants to take away from us rather than give to us. This is a lie that probably all of us believe right now in some area of our lives. To believe God is to have to give up something that we treasure. Or we have believed it. I know I, I certainly have. Or we will believe it again at some point in our lives. But it's a deadly lie that we hear from all three of our mortal enemies, our flesh, the world, and the devil. But the one true and living God is not a takeaway God. He's a give all he's got God. We do give up stuff to grow with him along our way, but God doesn't need our stuff. The bigger and more important question will always be do, do we want what only God's got? Or do we want to keep our lesser stuff? That's the question. Do we want to walk in newness of life? Do we want to live a new life, as the NIV puts it? Do we want to know what God wants to do or has done for us already in Christ? If so, we need to go no further than Romans 6 4 when it says, In order that we too might walk in newness of life. If that would be our desire, then it doesn't matter what the rest of the sentence says, we're ready. I want that. How do I get some of that? Well, that's what God wants for us, and it's what he's already done for us in Christ. And how do we take hold of that? The text tells us the promise is for those who were, quoting here once again, buried with Christ by baptism into death in order that we too may live a new life. Not a reformed life, not a better life, not the life we always wanted, not our better life now, a new life in Christ. Now, You may rightly wonder why I'm offering this morning what is a fairly straightforward presentation of the Christian gospel when earlier I said I wanted to do something new, (laughs) something that'll give us renewed hope. This was one of my issues with the text, frankly, when the Spirit kept bringing me back to Romans 6. Romans again? On the first Sunday of a new year? What I want, something new, something fresh, something visionary, something change-oriented. I eventually realized and agreed with the Holy Spirit, which is a pretty good thing to do, that we need to review and recover the essentials. We need to review and renew our biblical Christian values and the priorities to guide us well and fruitfully and to start and sustain us this new year, 2021. Because here's the thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the beginning of the Christian life. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the substance of the Christian life the gospel of Jesus Christ is the end of the Christian life. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing of eternal consequence and true love that we have to offer to anyone. Friend, foe, family, neighbor, or stranger. But here's one more thing before we close. With this insistence from the Spirit that we begin this new year in Romans 6, majoring on verse 4, I'm confident someone must be listening who needs to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. Is that you? There must also be someone who needs to swallow your pride and just be baptized. Just do it. Baptism may not save us, but neither is it optional. There is no way we can read Romans 6, taking it seriously, and come away thinking that baptism is optional. There's just no way. To the contrary, baptism is and has always been the beginning of the authentic Christian life. Indeed, Romans 6, 4 teaches us that baptism allows us to share in Jesus' death in some real way so that we can also share in his resurrection life in some equally real way. That's the truth of Romans 6 and verse 4. Finally, I, I just want us to look very briefly at verses 5 through 11. I'm not going to preach them. I'm basically going to read them, maybe a little editorial comment along the way, but but we're talking about a couple of minutes. Not 20, a couple. We're going to be doing this, not in passing exactly, but, but understanding that these verses flesh out in greater detail and work through key implications that surely deserve more attention than we're going to give them this morning, but they are, the, they are, are flowing from They are produce of the central truth of verse 4, which we will quickly see. And please don't anyone miss this. Your eternity, your growth as an individual, your harmony as a family, and our purposeful unity as a congregation may well depend on it. Every single word of what follows verse 4 in Romans 6 depends on verse 4. Which means that every single truth or promise that follows verse 4 depends on the burial into the death of Jesus Christ that is baptism. Believers, baptism is necessary and assumed. Okay, look with me now very briefly at verses 5 and following. For if, now we've talked about this before. I'm not going to go to seed on this. I'm not going to get on my my soapbox or anything like this. But every time we encounter a conditional in a sentence, the conditional governs the whole sentence. So it's if, then. If the conditions are met, then. If the uh, uh, conditions are not met, then not. Right? Verse verse 5. For if... We have been united with him in a death like his. And what does that mean in the context of this passage? In baptism. If we have not been baptized, then we have not been buried with Christ in baptism and into the death like his. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, then we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see the relationship? Buried with him in baptism, raised with him in newness of life. I say that when I bury folks up here. It's true. This is where we get it. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. How can we walk in newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit when we have not been buried into the death of Christ? Answer, we can't. Verse 7. For one who has died over and over again. This is, this, these are re- recurrent References to baptism in which we were buried into a death like Jesus's. Verse 7 again, for for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, what's the next word? If, it's a conditional. If we have died with Christ, referring back to verse 4 again, and even verse 3. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. You see that? We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death has no longer dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, watch it now. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. My hope is that starting right now we will choose hope. We will choose to walk in newness of life. We would choose a new year, a new day, a new life, a new eternity. Now, Don't go anywhere. I've got a final word in just a minute after we sing, okay? Let's pray together. God, thank you for these, your words. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through them. We pray that you would move us from where we are to where you want us to be. Whatever the decision is, Lord, we have asked you to speak to us in a special way today. We've asked you to move us in a special way, that you'll move us from where we are to newness of life, whatever that might mean and whatever that might look like. So I'm praying, Lord, for us all. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to close by reading the following three verses, Romans 6, verses 12, 13, and 14. And I do so in the hope that we will all listen very carefully so we can just as carefully commit ourselves and our ways to the Lord Jesus in holiness, in righteousness, by God's grace, through faith in Jesus. God's word further says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but grace. Happy New Year. I hope your 2021 is blessed along with us as a congregation. And we also hope to see you right back here next time. Go in peace. Amen.